What is up, everybody? I have the esteemed Eric Barber to my right, and across from us, we have Wisconsin native, long-time, long-time outdoor columnist, outdoor writer, Navy man, <laughs> Mr. Pat Durkin, and we're going to talk about a, a, a topic today, a very unique fishery, I guess you could say, and that is the Wisconsin sturgeon spearing season. So yes, to spearhead this conversation, Pat, welcome. Well, thank you. It's always fun coming down. Did I get, did I, I, I'll, I'll actually, I'm going to follow up my intro there with, this is not your first time on the right. podcast, Pat. We've had Pat here before. Mm-hmm. Very interesting history, life story, all the good stuff. So if you didn't listen to that one, dial back yep. the clock of time, give it a listen. It's a good one. Uh, Pat, did I miss anything though? Anything no, important? Nothing. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll get there. So, <laughs> Wisconsin sturgeon spearing. One thing I find interesting about this season is that we have a spearing season. We don't have a hook and line season. Well, we do in, in um, quite a few rivers. In the rivers. Yeah, okay, yeah, but and, not in the... And for some reason, yeah, I never have gotten into the politics of all that, but apparently the people of the, of the Winnebago area, the Oshkosh area, where the, where the Winnebago system is... They would have had the option at one point to have a hook and line season, but they just decided to stick with uh, the spearing season, which is now I think about eighty years old, where it's been regulated for eighty years. Yeah, I was yeah. I, I, in my sheet here. The one notable thing that I highlighted it says the Lake Winnebago, or or the first modern sturgeon spearing season on Lake Winnebago occurred during the winter of nineteen thirty one thirty two. Wow, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was, when I was thinking about it earlier too. I was like, oh man, like I find it interesting. Like you said, there's hook and line seasons elsewhere, but but there there's not. And I've always I'm I was like, oh, I'm surprised they don't have a conventional tackle season. I'm like, well, actually, maybe the spear is the most conventional of <laughs> right. That's the OG of yeah. pulling fish from the water. So, yeah, very cool. Pat, you've um you've covered this yeah. this event a few times. What what have you learned about it along the way? I've I've always found that um I think with all my writing whether it's sturgeon or deer, that the thing that I always end up finding the most fascinating is just the people themselves. Uh-huh. And one of the things I've always found fascinating about the, um, the sturgeon spearing thing was, as a reporter, I spent a lot of time just driving out on the lake, knocking on doors. And that, what always struck me was it's not like knocking on a door at a, at a house you know, in the street. You're knocking on a door and they just, they just kind of whoop, you know, yeah, come yeah. on in. They don't care who you are. Right. And they just walk in, and I'll introduce myself. And they, and they would let me walk in whether I was a reporter or there was just somebody curious to see what, what the hell was going on. And it was just really this, this real friendliness out there. And then another thing that I find fun about it was, you know, I see people coming in from all of, all of the, the region, basically. You know, the main people are right from that, that spot. But I remember uh, some friends of mine from up in Mellon, Wisconsin, which is probably like a five-hour, four or five-hour drive for them. They'd come down every year for the sturgeon spearing. And they didn't always spear, but they'd come down and hang out and do that kind of thing. And then you go over to um, the, the, the East Shore. I remember one time doing a story just where I, where I drove into Stockbridge, Wisconsin, which is right on, on the lake. And I walked close to a half mile to get to the, the tavern where they were yep. registering the sturgeon. And, and that, that half mile, the reason I had to walk a half mile is because there's so many people parked there just for the event. That the, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a bass tournament, walleye yeah. tournament approach, but without all the fanfare. It's just, you know, you, you, get to, you get to the parking lot where the sturgeon are being registered, 
And I likened it to when you go to a big airport, you see everybody out front with their, with their suitcases, they're pushing their suitcases mm-hmm. closer and closer to the, the, the bag check area. Yep. And then in this case, was sturgeon on, on the ground, these big hulking, you know, sometimes six-foot sturgeon. And they'd just be kind of pushing these sturgeon closer and closer to the registration spot. And then people gathered all around. It's this big, festive, lot of beer drinking and talking, that yep. kind of thing. And to this day, Mark, the one thing I, the other thing I wanted to add was I still get at least every other, I say twice a year, I'll get people emailing me asking me to make them a sturgeon spear. And I always have to write back to them and say, you've read my article about a guy that makes sturgeon spears. I've actually written a couple about a couple of different guys over the years that make stur- mm-hmm. these, you know, okay. sturgeon spears for the Winnebago system. I said, but I I personally don't make them, but uh, you might want to call like Critters in, in Winniconnie's uh, a sports shop. Yep. And they would typically uh, have somebody locally that was selling st- sturgeon spears through them. And so they they often knew you know who's making them these days, and you know, as always, it's always usually retired guys making them that they were spears themselves, and they're handymen. They they build up these nice detachable spearheads and big big um big old ash handle on it, and it's 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 a fascinating culture. It's a really unique culture because you know where else do you hear about uh, regulated you know sturgeon spearing season? Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, it, it is it is so unique. If you can, and both you guys have been up there to see it or participate in it, it, maybe for the listeners out there, paint the picture of how a person even goes uh, goes about it. It's winter season. It's 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 hard water. You're you're on the ice. So like, how does this work? How does one spear a sturgeon? Man, I so I'll I'll take a stab at it, mm-hmm. and Pat, you I fill in the blank. No, no, yeah. you. That there you was, I don't yep. know if that was intentional, but I liked it. So I've been up there, I think, three years now, uh, consecutive. Just for never had a tag myself, but just kind of to your point, you know, bask in the culture of it, and and you know, enjoy that aspect of it. A lot of community, a lot of camaraderie, from yep. what I see, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so how the season is structured or how the day is structured, the season, the, the day runs from like 7 a.m. until I think 1 p.m. 1 p.m. is a cutoff. Yeah. And that's a fairly modern, like, I mean, in the last 20 years they changed that. Yeah. yeah. So you'll be sitting in that, in those, these fish houses, basically a, a shack, a shed with a open floor. And in that open floor, there is a, probably about the size of this podcast table, maybe a little smaller a hole in the ice and people are sitting there looking down in the, into the hole. Water visibility is always variable. Um, I think that's probably the most often debated thing that dictates success out of the season. And it's a lot of waiting. And when excitement does happen, it happens very fast. And, and you go from zero to 60, just like that. Yeah. It's almost, it sounds like, like deer hunting, like, yep. like tree stand bow hunting is kind of what it sounds like for, for giant sturgeon. How do you, how do you create this giant hole in the ice? That's worth a trip in itself yeah. to spend a half a day or a day out on, on the day before the season. They're, they cut those holes usually with, with a big chainsaw. Okay. And some of these guys have it down to where they create like a little sled with a chainsaw mounted on it. And then it, it tilts down and they just kind of you can pull it right along. They'll mark out the spot they want. And, and basically, if you picture a refrigerator, the typical refrigerator, that's about the size of a, a sturgeon spearing hole. Okay. And, and they, they cut that out. And then once it's cut, they got that thing cut. They'll take um, big push poles yep. and push down the one end, and then, then from the other side, push it and just slide that big slab beneath the ice, so it's okay. off, off the side out of the way. Yeah, they don't. They don't actually. 
they don't actually pull the ice out. They just slide underneath. Right. The the sort of process. Un- yeah, that process is called sinking the cake. Well, I yeah, learned yeah, that. Yeah, good point. Yep. Yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. What about so, Pat? You're you're talking about the spears a little bit. It sounds like maybe there's variants and a lot of different styles of spears perhaps uh, or no not really that they, they kind of have settled on a, i don't know i can't remember the exact specs now but i think they did um change it or made it or nailed it down where you couldn't do like uh what looked like an x right you had prongs going in all four directions oh. yeah they have to be in, in one one line like a pitchfork okay and then they they have then it basically detaches you know once that once the spearhead is into the sturgeon they you know they drive it into the you know if they're heavy enough that they can either drop them or um or just push them down real real hard mm-hmm. and then once the head's in usually it's, I think it's just held on usually like a a wood wooden match or just mm-hmm. in a hole and then once once it's you know snaps it breaks and they pull that all the way and then they can just fight the fish with a rope yep you know there's you know the spears you know stuck in it yeah I, I have to add I figured out years ago you mentioned um it's almost like bull hunting. Not really, because you're looking down at a really small area. You oh, can, you can kind of sure. see out to the sides. But I wrote this down. Um, lake Winnebago, which is our biggest inland lake in Wisconsin, is 215, 215 square miles of surface ice out there. And so you figure that, so I went and I measured up a, a refrigerator one time for, for, for his perspective here. And I figured out with my little calculator that you're watching a spot on the ice that's 400 thousandths of um, Lake Winnebago's surface area. Yep. And so if you want to see some, the real serious student spears, they're out there for weeks scouting by dropping uh, a little scooper type device down into the bottom. In the years that the gizzard shad aren't really prominent and they're living off the, these, these um, worms that are down the bottom of the lake, these, these guys will go out there and try to find the most um, worm-rich area and figuring that's where the surgeon are most likely to be feeding. And so they all go out there and run these samples and try to find those areas where they're finding a lot of the, uh, these. Uh, I think they're called red worms. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yep. and mm-hmm. become the mayfly that hatches in May. It's a cool culture. I, I always get a kick out of it. Um, Jay Reed was a late, He's a, he's been gone now. He's an outdoor writer from the Milwaukee Journal. And he once described the people who, um, the whole process of sitting inside a shack, he wrote, um, it's as close to above-ground burial as you'll ever get. Because you, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> you sit there in this dark shack, and the only light is coming out of the lake itself, you know, that light from the, underneath the surface. I yeah. guess you need that yeah. environment to be able to see right, to see the down, water. Right, to yeah. see down, yeah. Yep, and don't take your eyes off the hole. Oh, right. Because right. it does not take long for a fish to swim by. And, and the year that I went, I spent time with a good friend of ours, Jake Hubschman, um, his dad. And I was in the, in the shack with him. His dad has been doing this his whole life. And the thing that I noticed is he never took his eyes off the hole. It mm-hmm. was if, if he had, you know, that when it comes to sitting in the shack, you might smell things like bacon on a fryer <laughs> behind you or, you know, some, something of that nature. But when the bacon is ready to come off, somebody is watching that hole with the spear in their hand. It's mm. ne- there's never a lax moment where people are, you know, disengaged because yeah. it does not take long for one fish to swim swim through, and that's your that might be yeah. your opportunity for the season. Yeah, and they, and they don't always just swim right straight across. They swim at the angle. You meant to yep. see the tail going through at the last second, and yep, it's it's, it's interesting when you um. 
I've always wanted one of the th- stories I've always wanted to work on is is to go on those big harvest years mm-hmm. and go to the registration station and then keep track of um, where these fish are getting hit. Yeah, where, where is the spear wound? And yeah, because you know, just my casual observation, a lot of them do get drilled just perfectly in, in the body. But once in a while, you have these great stories where one get hit in the tail. Yeah, it ends up being this big fight. And if you can picture Mark, yeah, this nice, cool, serene sight scene out there, nice shacks out there, and not much activity around the shacks. But every once in a while, when somebody gets one, it's like a door will fly open, cheers start flying out, other stuff starts flying out because they're fighting this fish and they need room for in, inside the shack, you know. Yep. Just chaos and, and, and ensues. Just, and it's, this, this guy described it one time, he said, it's like the most god-awful, boring thing you can do. Then all of a sudden, it's like somebody tosses a grenade into the, <laughs> yep. in, in, into the shack. That is exactly how it was the first year I went. Totally spoiled the first very first year up there. I was actually out of the shack because we had a, a Mr. Buddy heater in there and it was getting unbearably hot. So myself and a buddy went outside and we were just cooling off. And naturally, you know, guys are gonna joke with each other. All of a sudden you hear a little bit of water splashing like, we got one. We're like, no way do they actually have one. Next thing you know, the the splashing gets louder. You hear knocks in the walls. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the door flies off the hinges, like horizontally down, and my buddy comes out with a huge sturgeon that he's bear-hugging this Holy thing. Yeah. And and that was the fish that we got on the ice that day. Huh. It was incredible. That is so cool. it's a very accurate yeah. representation, throwing yeah. a grenade into the mix. Yeah. When you see... People bring. I mean, they look like sturgeon sickles when yep. they, you know. I mean, I mean, it's generally cold. Obviously, you're mm-hmm. essentially, you know, you're on top of the ice. But man, it does not take long for those fish to, to well, freeze up. As, and some of those years, it gets really. It's still pretty cold in February. And other years, it's like today here in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. we're in the 30s. But um, yeah, some years it's it's brutal to be out outside. But when you're when you're inside the shack, like Eric was saying, it's typically it's um, too warm. But you know, it's it's fun too because I, I remember going out there with my kids when when my kids were like preschool, and just walking in the shacks, and then the people would see these little kids and bring them over to the, the side and let them look down the hole, yeah. and, you know, and just make them part, make them feel like you sure. Because once in a while you'd see like gizzard shack go swimming through or, or perch swimming through. Yep, and that entertains kids all day. Definitely. Speaking of seeing the fish, now I've watched some things on on the YouTube, Eric, but I think there's some tricks of the trade to help. You maybe oh. see a fish as it passes through. What's what's going on there? Because that's super interesting as well. Yeah. So I mean, just in the the limited experience that I have, it's decoys are what you're referring to, and you know, Pat, to your earlier point about how it's a personal thing and, and like there's a lot of culture into it. You know, you've got every everything from the handmade decoys that somebody might drop down there, or decoy that's been passed on from you know gram, grandma and grandpa or whatever to tie in a milk jug or to tie in a shed antler actually when we when when my friend speared his we had a a shed antler tied to a a string and we would every now and then give it a couple little jigs but yeah yeah, i mean it seems like they're very curious fish and 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 do investigate stuff like that there's there's no um i haven't heard anyone ever claim that a certain decoy or a certain anything is anything any any better than anything else but it comes down to personal taste and, and interest. I remember one guy, this, this, this was back into the 80s. It's it probably the first time I was out there. This guy just had a, um, a coffee cup dangling at, at the yep. end of his, his rope. And I said, why'd you choose a coffee cup? He said, oh, it beats looking, beats looking at a cob at corn, you know, corn cob all day. And that was, <laughs> that was his answer. That, you know, yeah. Either this or corn cob, and I chose a coffee cup. Yep. Yep. Other guys, though, like, you know, it's, it's really a neat culture up there where um, there's at least... 
four or five pretty well-known sturgeon decoy carvers. And, you know, sometimes they're guys that also do uh, duck decoys and other other decoys. But um, one guy wrote about, I think his name is Wagner, about five years ago. It was really interesting. He he met me on the, on the shores of Lake Poygan, up on, uh, which is farther up northwest of um, Lake Winnebago. And I met him at this, this, this uh, boat landing. And what cracked me up was he would not... Drive, he would not drive his truck out onto the ice. He would he would ride with me, in in, in the passenger seat. But yep. he he did not want to be uh, trapped behind the wheel, um, oh. driving out there. He's just really deathly afraid of driving out wow. on the ice. Huh. And then um, in fact, you know, now that I think about, it, I don't think he even drove out with me. I think we did the interview right there on the on the edge of the shoreline. Really? Where yeah, he wouldn't drive out with me. Yeah. I met him at, at huh. the shoreline, but he but he's in, in demand where people are paying him good money to make them decoys and wow. it's just but God, you talk about the talent level of these various craftsmen around this sport and it's it's fun to fun to watch they come up with. Sure, sure, for sure. Another thing I think we should talk about is the uniqueness of Wisconsin's season structure compared to other states that that might have a sturgeon uh, season. So, Pat, could you kind of explain that? I know Wisconsin is unique in the fact that we can harvest multiple fish. Some other states that do have a sturgeon season, it might be, you know, a very small number um, or even just, you know, one one fish. Well, I'm not not quite sure what Stark to start because it really it's it's um i think there's only one other spearing sturgeon spearing season that i'm aware of i might you know sometimes i date myself because uh, i'll i'll get stuck in a time warp and not realize that other states sure. have come along in the meantime but i think michigan has a, a season up up in the up okay. on the lakes okay and I, but i know um here in wisconsin with the that's it for for sturgeon spearing is you know that winnebago system mm-hmm. and you know back Years ago, that the the season would pretty much has run just like a deer season that started this date and stopped on this date. Well, you know, and then about twenty years ago, they changed it where um, we can, and it, plus you speared all day. You know, you'd be down to dusk out there. The real hardcore guys, and then they changed it about twenty years ago where it starts at seven, like Eric was saying, and stops at one, and then you have an hour to register your 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 um, sturgeon. You can't just go home with it. You got to register it in person. And then they also have a quota, and once they hit that quota or get, start getting close to it, they they shut things down. Gotcha. And so they really like I think, I think typically though they still can kill anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand. They they've been doing it pretty regularly. And another, another benefit too is um, and this is this this talks to the whole conservation ethic of the area. Back in the eighties, they the DNR um, had a guy named Ron Brook come in, and, and he kind of came up the system, uh, a plan for the entire system. They start building, they start building break walls. They started doing uh, clearing out channels up in the Wolf River system where all the, the walleyes would spawn. They they, just, they got got much more involved in controlling how much um, um, fertilizer is running off of people's lawns, off and off of farm fields, all these kind of things, and. By the 1990s, the the lake system was getting fairly clean. You weren't getting so many um, algae hatches, and you still get the algae hatches, but it wasn't as bad as what it used to be. And and they used to even call, like now in retrospect, the the biologists working today in the last 20 years, they would always refer to the 60s, 70s, and 80s as the the dark ages because they they had so many years where they'd get like maybe a handful of sturgeon because the water was so cloudy 
they'd have years they can like get like a, a few dozen at the most. And then there was then there was suggestions that some of that was probably done illegally with their you know, using bait. To yeah, bring them up on a hook and line, then spearing them. You know, so that so then sure. They, so then they had and they passed laws about if you're going to be in a student student shack now, you can't have other poles in that in that. You gotta worry just about sturgeon. Can't be saying your walleye fish, and you can't be saying your perch yep. fishing. Gotcha. So those kind of things came along, and those. What's fun about all that? It showed the value of good leadership from the DNR, but also selling a program to, to the citizens, getting them in the meetings, explain why you want, why you want to do a certain thing a certain yep. way, and then getting the buy-in. And you think, well, you can do, and it's much easier to do that regionally than it is like statewide. Because you mean you know, all of us who live in Wisconsin, most states with big game hunting, you know how how hard it is to get any kind of agreement on a on a deer season sure. yep. or elk season. But on sturgeon, you know, they, it's a small region, relatively speaking. It's a unique way of harvesting with uh with the spearing. So they had a lot more buy-in, and plus they could then they could feel like we actually did improve the water quality of the system by doing yep. it this way. It's really a neat, comp- they didn't even call it the Winnebago Comprehensive Management Plan because it was comprehensive. It wasn't just about more walleyes. And when you see conservation being described as just stocking fish, you think, well, that's not like conservation. Right. Yeah. You know, and this was really a, a great example of sure. what you can do, the power you can generate when you get people buying into a system yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and truly... Improving the health of the entire system, yeah. ecosystem, and, you know, for the benefit of sturgeon and other species yeah. and just, yeah, the, the health of the whole darn thing. So yeah. that's awesome. What about, you know, it's not necessarily just a free-for-all in the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like some of the tags are on a lottery, it sounds like. Right. You know that system? So how it works is you can apply for, gosh, you can you can apply for upriver Tags. I right. think that's what you're referring to, Mark. I think the uprivers and then the main lake is just the quota. It's correct? like it's like a general. Yeah. I would equate it to like a general deer tag out in out west or mm. something like that. Like anybody can get that, but the upriver tag, upriver sturgeon tags, are you know they require a draw. Typically, you need a couple preference points to get it. And the big differentiation from the upriver system to the Winne- to uh, Lake Winnebago is. Oftentimes, water quality, Pat. I think it, it sounds like it's shallower, sh- shallower, clear, uh, improved visibility, improved visibility. So oftentimes, folks that have those tags have a little bit higher success percentage right. than the folks on the main yeah. body of water. Yeah, gotcha. And, and the lakes themselves, up on, they call them the upriver lakes. It's Lake Butamore, Lake Winnicani, and Lake Poygan. And they themselves are pretty good sized lakes, but they're um, but you know the whole Winnebago system, the water levels been raised artificially for gosh 160 170 years by dams on the on the on the lower fox river and you and you go from um um just upstream or up north a little ways of oshkosh is Menasha, and that's where the fox river comes back out and goes toward green bay and they dammed it up years ago and that raised the water level up so these upriver lakes were at one time mainly marshes and like when you fish lake poygan lake butamore lake winnicani I think Poygan has the deepest spots at maybe 10, 11 feet, and, that, and that's, that's sure. it. And and so like it's much easier on those lakes if you find a good spot where the sturgeon come through up to in the you know going up the river. And they I guess there's some idea they stage a little bit there too for the yeah for the for the, the spring spawning run. So it's just a, a 
higher percentages. And I think it, I think it typically takes about five to seven years to yep. draw that tag. Yep. Okay. Definitely. And, and that's a small quota. They they have a real tight quota. They're like maybe three hundred or that's something. That's what I was gonna guess. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You don't. That's not something you hear very often. Like, ugh, finally drew my sturgeon tag. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. How yeah. many how many sturgeon points do you have? I've got four. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so I'm hoping mm. next year. Wowie, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. I might have to ride your coattails and mm. see Please this do. Uh, spectacle. Yep. How many, do you guys know, on average, how many people participate? Oh, man. It's um about 10,000, 10, 11,000, I think. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Is that total spe- uh, to- tag holders? Total tag holders, okay. yeah. And I, I, haven't, I haven't checked it recently, but I think when I was... When I was writing for the newspapers pretty regularly in that area, that was pretty much the average. You know, I was mm-hmm. you, you kind of be safely in saying about ten thousand every year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it might be more, but yeah. And what I what I like about the system that we have now with the seven a.m. to one p.m. is it, it is it's created a like sense of community in that group. So, Pat, to your point, you know, you have an hour to register your fish. Mm-hmm. So everybody comes off the lake. They go to one of the registration stations, yeah. and everyone kind of flocks there. And you'll get people. So there might be 10,000 tag holders, but then you might have an untold amount of people yeah. that just come in from the community, oh, yeah. want to see the fish. They want to hang out at the bar then. Yep. And then oftentimes there's, you know, the, the bars have some kind of event. Yeah. Um, and it, it just turns into a whole cultural experience that I think is unlike anything. Yeah. I mean, it, it if... if Wisconsin and a lot of other states in the Midwest are very proud of their deer hunting heritage. If if sturgeon spearing sp- uh, spreads statewide, I don't know that the state could handle <laughs> <laughs> as excited as people get about the, the sturgeon yeah. spearing season. I, I, I wrote a column in 2009, for some reason I remember that the year, February 2009, where I, that was the whole intent of my my. Um, weekend was to go out and hang out at the, the different taverns and places where they bring the bring the sturgeon in. It was really fascinating. Um, you'd have young mothers bringing their little kid toddlers yep. and and preschoolers up to the sturgeon. Like this this one place had a sturgeon, a real big sturgeon um, had just been killed that morning, laid out on on the snow on a table on a tabletop. They packed all the snow up and then had this big sturgeon spread out. And then at the very end, the, the sturgeon's snout was hanging off the end, so that big. They have almost look, looks like a fire hose for a mouth that's coming down off the bottom, and then they have these little barbells on, on the yep. around the nose. But I always remember these little kids coming up and just flicking those yeah. barbells <laughs> and just being fascinated by it. Yep. And then you'd go out down a stock bridge and the DNR would have a crew down there pulling the, the sturgeon eggs out because they're doing all these different this different research on on um, how many pounds and how many eggs are in each sturgeon, and it was just a fascinating thing. But my description of it it reminded me because there's a lot of there's a lot of blood and guts around those sturgeon registration stations, and I was trying to describe it to people. Um, and one guy one guy wrote to me, he said it sounded like a scene out of Braveheart. Yeah, because <laughs> oh, no. the the DNR guys are um, you know slicing the bellies, then this reaching them with their big you know, gloved hands yep. and just pulling out just these these big bloody ga- masses of of sturgeon eggs and. Yep. And guts, and then checking it for the you know all the different. I can't remember all the different things they were checking, but right. that was really um, on that front. What was cool about it too is they they would do. It showed me if you explain things to anyone in in, in adult terms, 
they can accept the blood and gore. They understand it. You know, it's not like you're shocking anyone. Mm-hmm. I, these are little kids stand there, and the biologist says to them, "Who wants a biology lesson?" Yeah, and mm-hmm. come over here, and I, here's what we're going to do. And they s- explain what they're going to do and why they're doing it. And those kids, kids just sat there, totally en- enraptured by it. You mm-hmm. can tell it was like, "This is cool." Sure, I'm, sure. I'm super glad you touched on that too, because the biologists are getting a lot of data on the resource yeah. via these harvests that they right. otherwise wouldn't get. Oh, right, right. And that that's um really coming to, that's really happened a lot in the last 30 years. You know, we're, I mean, they kind of, um for, for many decades, they, they, the DNR could pretty much just kind of ride along with it and know that the, the water clarity itself yep. would be regulating the harvest. In the, in the years that you had um bad water clarity, well, the harvest would go down. Well, the next year, if you had a, Good year, well, it'd go up, but it just never really um, got going. Well, then as they started doing more research on it, they did things like they changed. Um, it used to be a, a, like a size limit. You had to have, I think, 50 inches or so before you could spear them. Mm-hmm. Jeez, that, how do you sort that out when well, a fish is swimming well, by? Well, they did things like they put a big big decoy down there. That was that, that size. They had some kind of yeah. compar- size comparison. But then eventually they realized that what that was doing unintentionally was targeting young females or, or females because the females don't females grow bigger than the males right so it's putting more harvest pressure on the females by having the size limit so by i think they either reduced the size limit or eliminated it but, okay but on, but at, then i opened it to more smaller sturgeon which was typically the males and so it all worked out now they're i think i have i have some of my charts like it was like 20 of the, of the top 30 sturgeon something like that we're in the this is like you know back in 2016, the biggest one was I think 212 pounds. It's like 20 to 25. The top 30 weights for sturgeon spearing were all all since 1990s since they made these regulation changes. So by doing a lot of science, they actually increased the the size of these of these, of these sturgeon, increased how long they live and hmm. all that kind of stuff. And it's Interesting. really some uh, groundbreaking stuff that yeah. um, you know and and we. We were lucky that we had this huge system that could support sturgeon that a lot of places don't have. Yeah, I mean they just aren't a lot of places really. Yeah, yeah, they're you know they're around, but they're not in, like the Madison chain here. I remember as a kid seeing Lake Sturgeon when I'd be out fishing and a big sturgeon go by and you knew what it was, but they'd never been able to get to a point where they um, populated enough to where you actually have a season on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's and I'm 66 years old, so I think that goes back. I can remember seeing that when I was a little kid. And my dad tells these, used to tell these stories about how first time he saw a lake sturgeon in Lake Mendota, he thought it was a shark. Sure. And he, and he, and he hid in the bottom of his boat because he was afraid of yeah. um, what might happen. So you, think, <laughs> so you think, well, we had these big fish around for a long time, but in some yeah. in some lakes and some systems, they just never really get going. <laughs> Super we are an anomaly. We yeah, are. I mean, like we keep saying, that is a very unique mm-hmm. fishery. It's a unique environment, like you touched on, Eric. Just the camaraderie mm-hmm. and the vibe and the community and people come together. And Pat, like like you said, you know, somebody knocks on your door at the house. You know, you crack the door. You probably have the chain in the way. Like you know, who the <laughs> heck is it? There's like, oh, come on in. I, yeah. you know, I don't know who you are, but I'll figure it out. You know, yeah. and it's just, yeah. I think it's just a really, really neat thing that a person can go see. And whether I guess you intend to sturgeon spear or not, you can go up there, hang out, and have a good time. I have not done it yet. I need well, to. I need yeah, to get up yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that um, every now and then you'll see the, um, national media come in and do a story about it. And then that Wall, Wall Street Journal had a guy there 
um, when I was still in the newspaper business a few years ago. And um, I don't know if I've seen big TV come in and do it, but um, like Meat Eaters out there last year, they did a, yep. a, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a two years ago already it was. But it's, and it does get that kind of attention where people come in and it's, you know, they plan these big trips. And I remember the guy from the, from the Wall Street Journal came in. He spent, I, I always gave him credit, he spent at least three or four days working that story to make sure he got a good feel for Very what was going cool. on. And that's like what Meat Eater did too with their um, the Fur Hat Ice um, yep. series. They came in and really spent a few days to get a, get the culture and get a, and meet these people who are making decoys and talking to biologists and all, all that. Sure. And, the, and they had a guy that was doing a lot of scouting for them. And so they really got immersed Very in it. Very cool. It, it's, it's a fun thing to be part of. You guys ever come across a real good sturgeon recipe? I haven't. I, I haven't really um, ever had sturgeon other than you know a couple of chunks that people fed me when I was you know hanging out afterward. Oh. Yep, same here. Oh, maybe yeah. maybe it's time we change that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when Eric gets his. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we missed? I don't think so. What What an anomaly in the fishing yeah. world! It's so cool. Yep. Well, I yeah. I love learning about things like this. I, I, the last thing I just close with is um. To show the fascination people have with this unique resource is, you know, when when they when they're spawning, they usually start spawning. It's you know, it's usually in April, you know, that time of year. The the, the water starts flowing in the, in the Wolf River, and the Fox River. Wolf River is the main one, though. Up, you go up by this town called um, uh, Shano and Shyalkton, up Shyalkton, that area of the Wolf River, and you'll see people parked and parked and parked, just blocking the roads almost going and watch the sturgeon come along up the river. Yeah. Because when they get in some of these rocky areas and they get below the dam at at um at Shano, they'll they'll just be in there and you get almost like walk across them. There's so many of them in there. You see their fins all sticking up and I spent a whole morning one time just taking sturgeon pictures and people yeah. coming down and 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 it, and it draws the scientific community like the they usually have students come over from EW Stevens Point and help net them and tag yep. them and as well as mark and recapture re- research they're doing and but it's just really cool to think that um whether they're being harvested or watching them live just doing their thing in the spawning season yep. it, they really draw a crowd and it makes all the local um, TV stations in Green Bay they'll. They'll let people know when there's, you know, they'll go out and send a, uh, yeah. a car out there with their, their crew and get pictures of all these people lined up yep. watching the sturgeon go by. That awesome. is so cool. Awesome. Yep. I love it. Well, hopefully everybody out there listening, we've enlightened you on this amazingly cool and uh, just really neat opportunity with a neat fish in a unique region with a unique culture. Come on, check it out. I think I'm going to. I like it. All yeah. right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Pat, thanks for swinging by. It's always, always good seeing you. It's been too long. And uh, until next time, spear straight, everybody. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Something like that. Yep. All right. Stick it to them. <laughs> I like it. Bye.